All right, everybody, welcome back. This is the second episode of the Timberwolves Weekly Podcast. My name is Ethan Becker. I'm a writer at Hoops Habit, and I uh, have been a beat writer for the Minnesota Timberwolves for a couple years now. My guest today, man that I've met a while back, uh, and I love getting on the podcast with him. I love talking hoops with him. Uh, he is the host of both Round Ball Ramble and of Span the Spurs on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. It's Mr. Corbin Ford. Corbin, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Ethan. Like, like you said, it's always a pleasure getting on here with you and just talking hoops. I love it. Um, and I'm excited to do it now. I mean, I'm so glad you're on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, man. It's We got to do some uh, Timberwolves Spurs uh, collaborations in the upcoming future. Um, but it's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. All right, but... We got to get right into it because we are going to, for the first time uh, on this podcast, we're going to begin by talking more about the general NBA. I want to have some uh, kind of playoff quick hits. Okay. Yeah. The first thing that I want to kind of touch on is the Lakers, of course, fell to the Suns uh, on Thursday night. They, it is the first time LeBron James has ever been eliminated in the first round Uh and a question going around right now is, is is the window closed on this Laker franchise? And, you know, they they won the championship last year, and was that kind of it? Was that the accumulation of all the work they did to get LeBron in, to get Davis in? And I want to get your thoughts on it uh, before I kind of go into it, because you're coming from it uh, from a Lakers fan point of view. I think it's interesting. I think there are a lot of questions when it comes to that. As currently constructed, yeah, you could totally say – you know, there wasn't a lot of health. You know, for the Lakers, you have 71 days. It's just a historically short offseason before you get back into action for the reigning champs um, and then going from there. But even so, the Lakers did start 22-7. and seven. You know, people forget. Um, and they looked pretty good for at least for a little bit, but then injuries came. LeBron had, well, I think, just beats his uh, groin injury from that 2018-2019 season to really become the, the worst injuries had in his career. Anthony Davis misses a lot of time. So, you have that, but most importantly, you know, the Lakers' two stars were just so good, but there was a huge gap between those two and the next best player on the Lakers team, you know? And whether that was Dennis Schroeder for moments while LeBron and AD were out, you know, you bring in Andre Drummond, you have all this stuff happening, but you don't have that continuity there, and no one to really pick up the slack you know, at least in theory, once those guys went down. The team wasn't really constructed to be a team without LeBron and AD, and that happened to rear its ugly head come the first round where, you know, LeBron never quite looked right coming off that ankle injury. AD obviously had was banged up going into the series, then suffered that groin injury, shouldn't even play in that game six. And, yeah, now you have issues because, I mean, used your whole um, non-taxpayer MLE on Montrose Harrell. Uh, he barely played this postseason. He has a player option. We'll see where that goes. Um you have Dennis Schroeder, who was okay in the regular season, just totally stunk it up in the postseason, and now, you know, he had turned down a, a what, four-year, $84 million extension, and now, what, is he trying to get more? Because he definitely didn't earn that. <laughs> and then you have, you know, Marc Gasol, uh, Wes Matthews, Marquise Morris, you know, and then again, you bring in Andre Drummond, and now you have to wonder what happens to him, especially since he didn't even play in their final game. And matchup-wise, he's just, he's he's okay. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I say all that to say that we've seen Rapalinka take a championship team and transform them literally, you know, over a couple of days into a whole nother squad, right? We've seen that happen. So, you know, you had 
the core from last year, then you have this one. Can he do that again and this time do it for a, a, a team that's better equipped to withstand a 37-year-old LeBron James and Anthony Davis who's played 70-plus games once in the last three years? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing I'm the thing I am most worried about are are those two star players because you you spend so much of your cap on those two guys that it's really hard to build a a good team without them. And a couple of stats that I dug up here when I was thinking about this, LeBron, first off he's going to be 37 in December, which for the production that he's doing is insane. I mean, he's still playing like a man in like his mid to late twenties. It's, it's nuts that he's playing this well at this age, but he's, he's definitely like past, you know, past his prime. I say almost ridiculously with the stats that he's putting up, but (laughs) you know, uh, it's almost ridiculous to say like he's past his prime, but he had uh, just kind of dug up some things here. He had his second lowest points per game total this season, uh, his fifth highest turnovers, uh, his lowest steals, his third worst blocks, and his f- the fourth least double doubles he's ever had. However, he's also he also averaged his fourth highest three point percentage, his sixth highest assist assists per game, seventh highest field goal percentage, and eleventh highest uh, rebounds per game. And it was also his eighth highest usage percentage at 31%. And his 10th highest, uh, the player impact estimate, which is kind of the NBA stats version of PER, that was 19.1. And speaking of PER, he had his second lowest. And even then, his second lowest PER was still 24.2, which is almost 10 points higher than the league average. Wow. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah, so he's still, like, it's almost ridiculous to me when people are like, oh, LeBron, you know, he's he's aged up, he's aged up. Because the only sign of age we see from LeBron is injury, right? That's really it, yeah. Yeah, because we, we didn't see that when he was with Miami or when he was with Cleveland. We didn't, we never saw him get injured. It was a, it was a huge thing his first year with the Lakers when he got the groin injury. Uh, I believe on Christmas was the game that he got in too, or maybe that was a game he returned for. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, like that was a huge thing because we'd never seen LeBron get injured like that before uh, and miss so much time with it. Yeah, he'd been indestructible. I mean, all, all yeah. of his career, you know, you've seen him walk off ankle injuries that people be out for weeks. All of a sudden, yeah. you know, those injuries happen and it's like, oh no, LeBron. Yep, he'll be out for weeks too. Like Father Time works the same way. And if you said it, if it, sh- it manifests itself in any significant way on LeBron, it's only been through injuries. Because you're right, his play hasn't taken um, significant uh, signs of regression. He's still very solid. But you know, when you have these injuries that sap you athletically, and you are, you know, even if you don't play like at 36, going on 37, it, it yeah. definitely shows itself. Yeah, and I will say to uh, that. Second lowest points per game total, still 25.3 points per game. So uh, insane when you consider that. That yeah. That's floor. That's like the worst he's been is 25 points a game, where that's like, that's the ceiling for a lot of guys. True, uh, true. Like, you'd be happy to average that in a playoff series. 
Right. Oh, exactly. You know, a role player be saying, oh, I'm getting paid. You know, if she was on expiring, (laughs) putting that out. No. Yeah, exactly. Like if if you're any if if it's anybody else and they're averaging 25 a game, they're having a career year. (laughs) Yeah, you said it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, But kind of talking about injuries. And I think the bigger concern for the Lakers right now is Anthony Davis. Uh, Davis has shown clearly that he has the ability to produce and to be the player that the Lakers need him to be mm-hmm. when healthy. But that that caveat of when he's healthy is the most important thing. Uh, of course, Anthony Davis uh, was out for a lot of this series with a, I believe it was a left groin injury. And he tried to come back in game six and he played, I think it was like five and a half minutes and then just had to go down and couldn't, couldn't play anymore. Uh, and I had, I remember seeing it. I had the same feeling I had when I was watching the Toronto Raptors versus Golden State Warriors series from 2019 when Kevin Durant came back from uh, the Achilles injury he had or the hamstring injury or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And he played and then he landed on that leg wrong and he just dropped. And I had that same feeling of this one's over, right? Like it, it kind of was the same, the same situation there. And Davis has, a history of some injuries here. And so I'm going to, I found uh, an article that kind of listed all of his major injuries. So he missed last season. He missed five games due to a sacral contusion. Uh, he played just uh, in this season. He played just 36 games out of the 70, 72 because he had an Achilles injury uh, in his final year with the Pelicans. He had that left finger sprain. And of course the, severity of that was kind of questionable because he was sitting out for so long and there was, he was clearly trying to force his way to the Lakers. Uh, but the, the thing that is concerning to me is that Anthony Davis has missed about 22% of his total games over his career with injuries. Uh, he's missed 153 games with injuries and a lot of that came, granted, a lot of that came this season, mm, right? Okay. When, he was out, when he was out for 40 games this season because of injury. Uh, and this is also not counting playoff games. This is only regular season. Uh, I, guess, I guess my question here is, do, do you think that Davis has the kind of dreaded injury bug, right? Does he have that? label of injury prone superstar i think that there's no other way to say it yes absolutely and i hate to say it because you know we've seen him when you know he's dominant you know we saw that run he had in the bubble but think about this there was you know it's in a controlled environment there was no extensive travel you know an incredible stretch of good health for him uh just a torrid hot streak of shooting both from mid-range and three-point range that hasn't replicated all season for him. It was a lot of things going right in that direction. When you look at a guy who, like you said, 36 games this year, 62, 56, he had two years of 75 apiece 
um, in 2016-2017, and then 2017-2018, and then we saw before that, it was, you know, mid to high 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he, he has shown more often than not that he is not going to be available for a major stretch. And he even said, and he was candid when he re-upped for the Lakers for five years, that, you know, hey, he needed to have that security because of his sense of history. Injury, history. Injury, injury history, I said it right the first time. And, yeah, yeah. And and yes, that's that's exactly what it is. When he's on the floor, he's a stud, absolutely. But you have to look at him as that injury-ridden superstar. I'm not going full Bill Walton on him, but at the same time, I mean, he's nowhere near Iron Man, and, and that's something you have to think about when you're a Los Angeles Lakers team that is riding him and an aged LeBron James. Because as we've seen so far, how long can he keep that up? That's one thing. And if you can't have AD on the floor either. That's another – and also, this is something I want to ask you, Ethan, about because the on-off with LeBron on and off the floor, whether AD is on or not, has been bad. And mind you, that's kind of a stable for LeBron-led teams. You know, the team is always going to be way better with him on the floor than when he's not. But when you have another superstar in AD, should that not be this? Should that not be at least a little bit different in terms of, okay, he can carry the Lakers for stretches? And what we've seen is that that isn't exactly the case. No, exactly. And I think – you're right in that assumption. And I think that was the assumption when they signed him was that Anthony Davis was going to be the guy to carry the team when LeBron James was off the floor. But that hasn't been. That has been the injury problem. And so the Lakers need to go out and they need to find somebody who's not a Mark Gasol, who's also getting up there and isn't exactly as good as he once was. They need to find somebody who can do that, who can, you know, and it doesn't need to be like a third superstar, but it needs to be somebody who is consistent, is reliable, can score, and is a uh, a threat to the defense when he's on on the court. I, mm-hmm. part, part of me expected a couple of years ago when he was, there was kind of this falling out with Minnesota, Part, there was a small part of me that expected Los Angeles to go after Jimmy Butler. Uh, wow. Because I I think he could be like... Because Butler is this amazing offensive talent, as we've seen in his run with Miami. But he needs somebody to pair with to be this great three-point threat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had that in Chicago. And he had that to kind of a lesser extent in Minnesota... Uh, you know, Towns is a Towns is a decent three point shooter. Uh, and they they corralled enough of kind of players who can shoot from three that it kept the defense honest. But and so I was expecting, hey, if you paired James and Butler, and then if you could somehow work Davis into that, that would be a really strong three man lineup. Of course, how realistic is that with how much? Those guys will want to have the ball. How how realistic is it, you know, like with salary? That's all kind of beyond that. But absolutely, I think the idea when bringing Davis onto the Lakers was, here's the guy who, who we can play for, you know, 30, 35 minutes a game, who will help who will help carry this team when LeBron needs a rest. And as you were saying, yeah, we've seen it with every single LeBron team that they've needed that guy. And sometimes they've had the, that guy. I feel like Miami was that guy, right? He was the guy who, when LeBron needed a rest, okay, put Ray Allen in. 
and he'll he'll be able to hit a couple threes. He'll be able to keep the offense moving. Okay, LeBron, come back in now. Mm-hmm. Cleveland, did they really have that guy? It's debatable, right? Uh, but they had such a wealth of talent that it almost didn't matter. Uh, in the second run, of course, not in the first run, in the second one with Cleveland when he had yeah. Irving and Love, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah, but exactly. I think that's the biggest goal for the Lakers this offseason is – Find somebody who can be that guy. And it doesn't need to be a superstar. You don't need to make another big three. It can be, you know, that role player, almost that uh, J.J. Redick type player, you know, and I know he's up in the free agency pool this summer. So uh, that's that's definitely the guy that they need to find because with Davis's injury history, I, I don't think you can rely on him to be that guy. And I agree. I guess my one question is, outside of a trade, and even then, I mean, you're working with the the what the money of Kuz, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a sign and trade for Dennis Schroeder, uh, Montrezl Howell if he opts in, you know, take the money and then go trade to a different team. Like the ways of 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 re-upping this team, I mean, outside of bringing everyone back is interesting because, like you said, bring bringing people back isn't gonna maybe isn't gonna help the main issue that plagued the Lakers this season. At the same time. You know, they just have, they have ten million from the luxury tax line, and it's factoring in their salary for their first round pick. You know, um, and they have seven roster spots to fill. I mean, Shooter, yeah. Morris, Drummond, Matthews, Taylor Horn, Tucker, Alex Russo, Jared Dudley, and Ben McLemore are free agents. That's a lot. Yeah. That could be eight if Marcus Stall decides to retire. We don't know about that just yet, but that's a lot to bring in. And even if they bring that same group back tax wise. Yikes! You know that's yeah. that's just a lot of money, and yeah, Lakers have a very limited cap as it is right now. Yep, and not enough like mid-range salary, like I said, outside of Kuz and maybe Harold to make a major move. You know, in that ten, uh, fifteen, seventeen million dollar range to make things happen, you're gonna have the massive LeBron AD untouchable ones. We're gonna have a bunch of minimal contracts, and I mean buyouts are one thing, but as we saw with Drummond, and, and we've known this from experience, you know, some guys are buyout guys for a reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I don't think, and maybe this is a hot take. I don't even know. Sometimes I Uh-oh, say things. Let's get it. More excited. I I think winning a championship in L.A. was never LeBron's goal. I don't think he wanted to win a championship with the Lakers. I think he wanted to play in L.A. I think he wanted to be out there. I think his family wanted to be out there. And so, because when you look, like when you looked at the team that Los Angeles had before LeBron was there, there was argument that they were kind of on the way up. Like, it looked like they were coming out of this this drought, but LeBron came in, and then he wanted to bring AD. I think, I think a big part of, of it was he wanted to play with Anthony Davis, and he wanted to play in Los Angeles. And kind of the point that I'm getting to here is I wouldn't be I there are two courses of action that I can see the Lakers taking and neither one I think would surprise me I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers said okay let's trade Kuzma let's trade some of these guys who you know aren't playing to the level that we need them to play at and let's try to bring in guys who can do that I would also not be surprised to see them just run it back to see try to go again right uh i think either one would make sense to me i think there's a lot of merit to the idea that if 
Davis hadn't been injured, if LeBron hadn't been injured, then maybe that series would have turned out differently. And, uh, the people kind of use that as an excuse. The thing that I've, and not just with this Lakers team, I've, I've said this for many years. I've, I said this back when the Warriors lost in 2019. I said, there, but specifically in context of the bubble, right, there was no asterisk with the championship in the bubble, but there's also no asterisk with the loss in the first round here because injuries are something that every team has to deal with in the playoffs. How do you deal with it? How do you come back from it? It's part of a championship team. And if you're not built to deal with injuries, that's, that's on you. That's not on, you know, the fates you know, mm-hmm. that caused your top guy. To win. No, you're yeah. right. It goes down to more than that. And, 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 okay, so where do you yeah, think... It'll they, be interesting uh, to see what they're doing. Go ahead. That's true. No, I was going to say, so where do you think they lean more towards them? Is it more of, okay, we're just going to run it back, or the other option? I think they... I think they try to retool a little bit. I I don't think we're going to see any major trades. I think we're going to see a couple free agent signings that are min guys, you know, mm-hmm. something that you just signed to try to fill a spot. I don't see just making too big of a change. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just, just, just a little finals yeah, again next year. Yeah. I, If I'm this, <laughs> if mm-hmm. I'm Rob Belinka, I'm biding my time until LeBron retires. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm keeping him happy. I'm, I'm making sure they win. I'm, I'm putting myself in a position where, when he finally enters the league, we can draft. Because uh, we know that that's kind of that he wants to play with his son. And to pick him up, whether it's through, you know, we have a bad to just draft him, or whether it's through good season and we. I'm biding my time. I'm waiting for that kind of big, you know, uh, spotlight moment when LeBron. And then I'm going to build around uh, his son. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, we're going yeah. there. Yeah. I think, I, I think you build, I think you build around the young talent. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, you know, from the few clips we've seen of him in, you know, his AAU. And of course the, the, the jump from, where he is now to where to be in terms of opposing talent is astronomical. I think when LeBron retires, I think there's a very legitimate chance that the Lakers tank for a year or two, build up a young core, and then make a run and make a fairly impressive run. Uh, it's, it's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Whether or not AD is a part of that at that time is yet to be seen, I think. 
I, yeah, I feel he'll still be. I don't think he's gonna be the type of guy that the Lakers like trade. You know what I mean? Unless he demands it. Yeah. I don't see the Lakers trading their max contract guys. You know what I mean? That they bring over the, the name cachet, all the stuff that was attached to that. I, I don't see that being a factor, but still, I, I I agree. If if I'm the team that drafts LeBron's son, I think maybe on a first negotiating with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. I think a first pitch is I'm pitching him for Davis to see how serious they are about this team. But I'm throwing that out there with the complete expectation that it gets denied. Okay. Just take a gander, take a right. shot, yeah. see if it like, works. I'm, Why not? Yeah. Take a shot to see if they're like, no, we just want the moment. Definitely. Definitely. Fine, you want Davis. Uh I'm throwing that out there with the full expectation that they shoot me down, and we work out a more we were package. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what they do. We'll move on here to we'll talk about the Trailblazers for a little bit, and we'll we'll actually come back to them a little later in the podcast too. But my question for you is: Are the Blazers ever going to get out of the first round? Honestly, no. I, <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm being a little sarcastic. I mean, we saw them make it to the Western Conference Finals with some favorable matchups and a lucky break here or there. And, of course, you know Damian Lillard's the, the talent that he is. But as the team's currently constructed, I don't think so. And I oh. do not believe that you can lay everything at the feet of Terry Stotts. Yeah, scheme-wise, there was a lot of issues. You know, defense has always been an issue. But you're, you're building around – your... Oh, okay. Better now? how you can't relay everything at the feet of yeah yeah i can hear you okay so i couldn't hear you for a second no um yeah like you said you can't lay it all there uh some of it goes down to the fact that uh, let me let me throw it back to you what do you think about the team construction yeah for the blazers yeah i think it's inherently flawed yeah yeah i think it's flawed too i i i saw somebody tweet uh the the biggest shame for Portland to build around Damian Lillard, and I totally agree with that. Uh, some interesting stuff that I pulled up here was the Blazers have made it to the playoffs in th- uh, in 11 of the last 13 seasons, excuse me. In uh, of those 11 times, they've made it out of the first round exactly three times. Uh, twice, they made it to the conference semifinals before losing... Uh, was the best season when they made it to the conference finals, and of course that was the year that they got where they faced the Thunder in the first round, and Lillard kind of Lillard hit the shot and waved goodbye off the court. Mm-hmm. I think that there's no way the Blazers ever advanced in the without building a Around. That looks like I I think Damian Lillard can be your go-to guy on offense. I don't think he's your go-to guy on defense. Mm. I think they're missing is to stop the other team. Not saying Lillard's bad on defense. Not saying the Blazers have a bad defense. I'm saying they have league average defense. I think 
Lillard is very good at defending his position, but you can't have him be you you can't have him be the best defender on your team. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, you're not building a a, a, a contending level defense on that alone. I mean, just in general, he has to be like part of it. I wouldn't even put him as a nucleus of a strong part. I would just say he has to be part of it. No, no, I, yeah, and I think he can. I think he can be the the nucleus of an offense. If you need somebody to go, I mean, we've seen him make these insane shots, but I think if you need a blueprint to build around Lillard, look at how the Warriors built around Curry. They got him another shooter in Clay Thompson that he can kind of defer to when the defense collapses on him. They got him some defensive guys in terms of Iguodala and in terms of uh, Draymond Green. And then you got some of the guys who can play down low and can hold their own down low when you look at uh, the rotating crop of centers that they had, and then later when they had Kevin Durant. And I think that's the blueprint that you need to build off of if you're Portland. Yeah, uh, and just making that start. Do you think that – do you think the Blazers seriously consider, or, or, or rather, do you think Damian Lillard considers moving on? No. No. He's tied Not to for them. a second. Okay, I, 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 I just wanted to throw it out and see what you thought. Yeah, I think I think he wants to be in Portland. I think the fact that he spoke out and said he wanted Jason, which, which there was a report released just a couple hours before recording this by uh, Adrian Wojnarowski that said Jason Kidd was actually excusing himself from the coach search because Damian Lillard like vouched for him. He thought it would put Portland in a weird position. Uh, but I think the fact that Lillard want like was so vocal about who he wanted as his next next coach, I think that shows that he wants to be in Portland. He wants to win in Portland. And and that's a credit to him. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to just win. He wants to win with the team that he's on. I get you. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. It's that it's that it's that one um the one franchise dirt kind of style, Tim Duncan kind of way yeah. that he wants to be. My problem is like unless he gets a break, and I mean, at this point, he's in the in the, his part of the career where I think we have what, another season or so, where he's gonna have to break right in that Dirk Nowitzki type way in 2011. You know, yeah. we got the dynasty just ending. You know, the hot streak, a good group of guys put together, uh, lightning in the bottle type thing that won't be replicated again for him to make that shot. And unfortunately, I feel that he had that in 2018 when they lost in the Western Conference Finals to, um, or 2019, I mean, when well, lost yeah. in the Western Conference mm-hmm. Finals to. The Warriors. I feel like that was the closest that he got to that moment. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, the the Warriors didn't quite fall apart in that series. It fell apart in the next series. Like I think that 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 was his jerk moment to take advantage of, and I I feel that moment's passed him by. Yeah, I uh I was lo- I was actually looking at the Blazers coaching staff before this because I've noticed something that towards the end of the dynasty era, right for the Spurs, you're looking at, like, 2013-ish to 2016-ish. It was it was kind of well-known that the strategy for the Spurs was not to be the first overall seed in the West because they felt like that means they expended too much energy in the regular season. But it was to be top four, so they had home court advantage in the playoff. And it looks to me 
that that's kind of the same strategy that Portland's using. And I, I bring up that I was looking at their coaching staff because I was looking for somebody who was with San Antonio during that time, but they have nobody. Uh, Terry Stotts wasn't there. You know, he came out of, uh, I believe he came out of Budenholzer's camp. Uh, and all of their assistant coaches essentially came from the there was one or two guys who came from lower level teams, but everybody else came from the G League. And so I still think that's the strategy that Portland shoots for. You see, like, they kind of struggle getting out of the gate. And I think that's I think I think that's strategic, right? Because they're trying to figure out how much energy to expend in the game so that they can make the playoffs and they can have a top four seed but they they don't be a number one seed. And, you know, especially because if you look at 2019, if you look at 2020, right, I think what we saw is that Dame Lillard had the chance to be one of the best players in the league. And whether it was because the team around him wasn't right or whatever, that he just never quite got to that level. My concern is that now he's... My concern would be now that he's past his prime and i'm curious what you think about that you know does does he have more in him does he have another level in him or is he just going to kind of plateau from here for dame for yep for dame i feel like i feel like he might be able to play at this level for another another year or so but i don't think he is better than this yeah yeah that's what what i mean i think this is it that's where I'm at too. I think he, I think he can maintain. I think he can maintain this for a little longer. Mhm. Yeah. For two or three. Years. But after that, I think, I think we see him drop. And honestly, I don't think we see a LeBron type fall from him. I think we see a Kobe type fall from him. Ooh. I think. Up the face. Yeah, I think he just drops after this. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I think everybody prospers when players play better basketball. So I I really hope that he does have that other level and he does have that next level. And he's just waiting for this kind of this guy who's uh, comfortable being a role player, but also probably better than CJ McCollum. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they can ever do that. I don't know. As much as I like CJ and them being together, you know, it's it's, it's like that Stockton Hornacek kind of backcourt, you know, for a number of years type deal that the yeah. nostalgia guy in me just enjoys. We've seen the ceiling for that, you know. CJ gets cold too often in big games. In general, when he's not doing that, he's being injured in the regular season. There's just too much wrong with those guys together that I don't feel you can. I'm just not very confident in that. But I don't know at this point if maybe CJ's outstayed his trade value in terms of getting a piece significant enough for y'all to make, and when y'all, I mean the Blazers, for the Blazers to make a significant impact. Like, he's 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 kind of, it'd be one thing if you trade him like a year or two ago where his star value was a little higher, yeah. but that ship has sailed. We, we, we kind of know what you're getting with, with CJ now. And if other teams know that, are you really going to be able to get an impact maker, you know, an impact changer, for the Blazers in a way it's going to be conducive to them winning more than they would without, would without CJ. Like, it has to be a hell of a perfect fit. You know, like Aaron Gordon in Denver, perfect fit, where, yeah, he's not an amazing player, but he's amazing for what they need. And I, I don't know if there is that guy out there 
Um, I mean, it has to be a shooting wing, right? And hopefully, you know, guys like Anthony Simons or other guys can step up for, you know, for the the Blazers in that way at the shooting guard position. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my concern for the Blazers is that the window is closing because you look at the West, you got the Mavs coming up, you got the Suns, you got the Jazz, you got the Grizzlies, who I think are going to be a real force here in the next couple of years. Don't forget, you have the Warriors who are going to get over this injury bug that they've had the last few years, and I think they're going to be in top form, and you got the Nuggets coming up, and I think in that... So that's already six teams that I think the Blazers are going to have a tough time competing against. I think uh, Minnesota, too, is making moves to be in the bottom mm-hmm. playoffs, right? In the bottom 7th or 8th. And so... You're looking at the the window in the West, and it's like it's closing for the Blazers to make an impact, right? Because they they don't have a Luka Doncic. No, they don't. They don't have a Luka Doncic type. No. No, and I, especially in a couple of years, if Dame does start to regress in his play, they're going to need to make some moves quickly, or they're going to kind of become one of the bottom teams in the West. I think. Yeah, and then if so, then I guess you either have to look at uh, Damian being in a KG-type position or yeah. looking like he might move. Yeah, exactly. What what can I get for him? So it'll be interesting to see what they do next year. I don't think they do a ton in the offseason, but it'll be interesting to see what they do next year. Final, final team I want to talk about, and we'll touch on this just briefly because by the time the show comes out, this will be there's a chance that this topic – is just totally irrelevant. But I want to talk about the Clippers for a little bit because I think if there was a trophy for most frustrating team in the league, the Clippers would win it and over this A hundred percent. Because you you look at you look at the team and there's it doesn't look like on paper, it doesn't look like there's a hole. It looks like they should be the top team in the West at least. Mm-hmm. You know, if not in the league yeah, here here they are, backs against Wall, Game 7 against the Mavericks. They lost the first two games by a combined 16 points. Give credit where credit's due. They won the next two by a combined 35. Uh, but what's going on with the Clippers in your mind, I guess, is the question. I feel like... I feel like they just have a... I don't want to say a culture problem, but something is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like something is wrong because you, you look at Kawhi and you can say, oh, Kawhi is not a leader, this or that. I feel like Kawhi is a very good at what his role is. And he's grown his, his role in terms of being a guy who can kind of create some offense, but not a guy you want to run your offense through, at least as a distributor. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I don't know about that. But at the same time, they, they, they it, I feel the Clippers are going to do what the Clippers are going to do. You know, you're going to have Kawhi get cold. You're going to have Paul George, who's had, I think his, his playoff struggles have been magnified and overblown to to a tremendous extent, but he has had issues there, you know, so it's not a thing like that. The supporting cast, while solid, isn't, you know, super great in that way. Like, it, it, it's just, I don't know. I've been trying to think about that, too, because every way you look at it, the Clippers should be just one of the better teams, but then you have down the stretch where you inexplicably hold guys to avoid the Lakers and see how that worked out for both them and the Lakers so far. You know, now you're getting blown up by Luka and the way they've been playing uh, in, at home over there is just so weird. I have no clue. 
I have no clue how to diagnose it. You know, I think one of my biggest moments laughing was when they kind of asked Doc Rivers a question, you know, shortly after he left the Clippers and went to the Sixers about Ty Lue, you know, becoming one of his, one of the Clippers head coach and like the difference there. And Ty Lue, um, um, Doc Rivers said something that made me laugh where he goes, well, listen, you know, um, when I was making all those adjustments, uh, <laughs> you know, Ty Lue was right there next to me. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just, it's just yeah. such a weird, the Clippers are so weird to me, man. They're just so weird. I think the biggest thing that I see when I watch them, and a little update, uh, that Game 7 is going on right now. It's currently about three minutes left in the first. Uh, Clippers are up 31-26. to 26. Uh, But the biggest thing I see when I see them is nobody's moving. You see Kawhi get the ball, and you see Paul George get the ball, and everybody kind of exits the paint and just kind of stands around and waits for a kick out, right? So you're you're not seeing a lot of this great off-ball movement. You're not seeing these off-ball screens. You're not seeing, you know, the thing you see with the Warriors, where if you watch the Warriors, everybody is moving constantly, and it's so hard for defenders to guard that. But then when you watch the Clippers, I think that's one thing. But I think there's bigger problems there that, you know, more than just... I think there are bigger problems there. And... What those problems are, yeah, I think, I don't know if it's a culture thing. Uh, I don't know if it's, you know, a, a team chemistry thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but, yeah, the Clippers, I think, need to address it and need to fix it. My my biggest question is, if they fall, is mm-hmm. is this it? Is this it? Do they blow it up? Do they say, okay, the experiment didn't work, you know, get Paul George out of here, get Kawhi out of here, get some guys in return, or do you try to, or do you try to run it back? Do you try to fix something? Do you try to try to tinker and really shoot for finals? Is it finals or bust for this Clippers team? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it is. I mean, if it isn't, what are you going to do? You know, what? because you yeah. have, you have. I don't know. Again, what are you going to do? Because why stay is fine, but the issue is still the same. Do you rework the supporting cast? If so, how do you do it in a way that's more conducive to them being more successful? I mean, at the end of the day, if you can't close out big games, you can't close out big games. If, like, I think if they can't close out in this game, if they can't win this game, all the blame goes on Kawhi and Paul George. 100%. Because that's why you that's why you bring them in. You bring them in to win tough game sevens against tough teams, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the Mavericks right now are playing with house money. If they lose, well, we lost to a team that had uh, Kawhi and Paul George, and you know our best two guys are Luca and Porzingis, and Porzingis hasn't ever been the same since his big injury, right? No, he hasn't. I mean, he's right. he's a glorified role player at this point, and I and I think it gives role players a bad name because. You just look at him as someone who's supposed to be doing more than he is. But role players do, you know? Like, I don't know. Role yeah. players do within their role. Let me say that better. <laughs> so if, if they if they lose, it's like, yeah, of course we lost. But if they win, it's like, hey, we beat the Clippers. Like, we beat Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And so I think there's no – for I think this whole playoffs, really, I think they're happy to be here. A hundred percent. I just, uh, yeah, I really think. Mm-hmm. 
Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I was waiting. I was saying 100%. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, if they lose this game seven as we're recording now, uh, okay, your first thoughts to Kawhi. I honestly don't think Kawhi leaves the Clippers as bad as this first loss would have been to go to, you know, Miami or uh, I don't know where else he would go in that way. And I feel like he wanted to come to L.A. obviously for his own personal reasons, family, you know, whatever off-court endeavors he has. Like, I feel like he wanted to go to the Clippers. He didn't want to go to the Lakers. So he picked the team he went to or wanted to go to. I'm not sure if he's going to be the type of guy to be like, okay, well, that didn't work out. I think he's going to re-up. Maybe it's for a shorter deal to kind of exact more pressure on the franchise. But then if you keep him, you got Paul George signed to a massive extension. Um, Like, where are you going now? Like, what is the, what is the course of action now? You know, uh, you, where do you go with that? I'm not sure. You have Rondo back next year. You have um, Serge Ibaka back next year. You have a, a bunch of these guys, veterans that are there, and you also have some free agents as well. And uh, how do you read to them on the margins? This team, especially once you get Kawhi, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Yeah, I have no clue. Um, I guess they should just hope they win this game. But honestly, I guess that question would linger whatever round they end up being eliminated in unless it's the finals. So... I guess this is something you have to worry about. Today's episode is brought to you by Davy Jones Branded Beard Balm. Davy Jones Branded is the best beard balm in the seven seas. It's a veteran-owned business that makes all sorts of products to make your beard look amazing. Their products are all natural and made with argan and essential oils. And with three awesome products, Pirate's Plunder, Release the Kraken, and Siren's Call, Davy Jones Branded has everything that you need to bring your beard to the next level. Everything they make is all natural, handmade by a U.S. veteran, and all vegan. The best part is that 100% of the proceeds go to help the founder fund his son's speech therapy. These guys are so awesome, and they'll make your beard look great. You can go find them at www.davyjonesbranded.com and follow them on Instagram at davyjonesbranded. All right, we're back, and we're going to start talking about some Timberwolves things. You know, the the whole point behind this podcast. (laughs) So, (laughs) biggest biggest news story i see and i almost don't want to even bring this up because i'm so sick and tired of seeing stuff like this but there's now been a rumor that started that uh carl anthony towns is eyeing a trip to the blazers i'm just so sick of seeing carl anthony towns rumors man i i don't think they're legitimate i don't think they're founded you know you remember i think it was a couple years ago where uh there was that rumor that he was looking to go to the Knicks, and I wrote this whole article that was, like, the basis for the Knicks fans' hatred of me <laughs> when I was, like, I was just laughing at this idea of why would Carl Anthony Towns go to the New York Knicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I just don't like seeing this stuff. But the thing, too, that we were talking about, the the Blazers don't need Towns. Like, that's not the guy they need to build around Lillard. They need a defensive guy because the question that I would have is how do you distribute the ball in that case between Lillard, McCollum, Anthony, if he's still there, and Towns? Like, how do you distribute the ball and expect all of them to have the level of play that they have? I just don't think you have that. Towns' defense, by its own admission, has never been great. So... It'll it'll be interesting to just see just see what happens. I don't think anything's going to come of it. What do you what do you think of these rumors here? Yeah, I think it's a non-starter. I think that you know maybe give it another year of frustration for Carl. He's shown nothing. I think uh, just 
in a major way to make you think that he's on the move, uh, the Timberwolves would never trade him just off the top for for what right now that that uh, Portland would offer. It, it doesn't make sense at all. Um, it's a rumor uh, that I guess picked up some steam because you know we look for that stuff come the off season. But yeah, yeah, it, it, it makes zero sense. And so yeah, I, I'm with it. Like I don't see how that helps Minnesota in any substantial way. Who would they be searching for? Unless it's Damian Lillard, <laughs> that would really be like, oh yeah, Minnesota, great, because CJ is not doing it. You know, you're not doing it for someone like Anthony Simons. You have to make the money work, which is another thing altogether. No, it's it's not even it's not even a question to me. It's yeah. not even that good of a rumor as rumors go, which is why you know when you brought it up, it's gotten a lot of noise, and it's like, but why though? I know that's why that's why I was saying like I don't I almost don't even want to talk about it because no, of course, yeah, it's like what, what's the point, man? Not you, but just in the fact that rumors get no. put up, but that one of of any, just go with the tried and true Carly Towns to L.A. Like at least that one always you know gets some airtime. Right, right, exactly. And I don't I don't think he moves, especially considering they still have a couple years left on his contract. Right, maybe they move him in his contract year if he tells them he's going to leave in free agency. Exactly. Maybe they do that. But considering, I think his contract year is 2024-25. Yeah, we got like four more years of this. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? You Like, there's no, or it might be, it might be 22-23. Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly who. I know Towns' contract year is one year, and then Russell's is the next. But I, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. But He's still, a free agent in uh, 2024. 2024, yeah, so 23-24. Uh, so we still got three more years of Towns on the Wolves. Like, unless they can get the perfect package for him from somebody, there's no way he moves. Like, it's not in the Timberwolves' interest. I don't think Towns is interested in it. He said before that he wants to stay in Minnesota. I just, I, I roll my eyes every time I see Towns to... You know, anywhere. Towns to X. I roll my eyes. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't unless he comes out and says he wants to trade, or you know, the him and 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 the Timberwolves come to an agreement or something of that sort. I don't see that being something that happens at all. Um, and you're right. Some of these teams just laughable because yeah, you're throwing at a team because why not? And I will say Portland's definitely a different flavor than what we're used to getting. But like, are we serious? You know, it's it's not something that's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> It's a change-up from L.A., it's a change-up from Miami, it's a change-up from New York, but no. I, That's it, yeah. There's there's no universe where I think, like, a, a trade for Towns to the Blazers just makes the Wolves and Blazers bad in different ways. Like, it doesn't help either team, I think. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah. It really doesn't, you said it. Yeah. No one comes off looking better on that, in that, in that one. Yeah, and also, like... The other thing, too, is that this rumor came out of absolutely nowhere. Like, literally, Stephen A. Smith was on first take one day and just said he got a text saying that it was going to be Towns to the Blazers. And, uh, and yeah, and honestly, I'm not sure I even trust his um, – I'm not sure I even trust uh, Stephen A.'s sources anymore, NBA-wise. I know. I, know. I, I, think, I think the best reaction to this was uh, was a Duncan Smith site expert at Hoops Habit just quote-tweeted that and said, I was the guy who texted him. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that Duncan Smith has some <laughs> underrated tweets, man. Yeah, oh, Duncan's got great tweets, man. And talk about a guy who, I mean, NBA Twitter just hates. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, just, just fun. He's in a flame war every day, but, no, I think that was a great 
yeah, I think I think this is a ridiculous rumor. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. No, we gave uh, it some, we gave it some credence there. We talked. I mean, we gave yeah. it a, a talking to says preposterous, and there we go. We 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 gave it we gave it exactly the amount of respect that it deserves. There you go. There you go. So we did. So I want to talk about the season of Ricky Rubio right now, and I think this is going to kind of be something that we do throughout this off season is kind of break down the game of one past season. And I want to start with Ricky Rubio. Rubio, of course, player who maybe doesn't hold as dear of a spot in every fan's heart as he does in mine. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I absolutely love Ricky Rubio. He was one of the, he was one of the first guys that I loved watching when I was watching basketball, right? Cause I started watching basketball around the 10 season. Right. And so it was Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio on the Timberwolves. And so you're, you're looking at this and yeah, I think there's, there, there was a lot of excitement in the Timberwolves community on the draft when they traded for him. And then throughout the season, it just kind of, but I want to kind of bring up his stats here quick. So he had 8.6 points, which is a career low for him. Uh, 6.4 assists, 3.3 rebounds, and 1.4 steals per game on a uh, 38-30 and 86 shooting split. So not fantastic shooting. You know, Rubio's never been the scorer, offensive, carrier kind of guy. But something I brought up on last show that Rubio had a 6-1 to one turnover ratio, uh, assist to turnover ratio this year. And so I don't – I think there's still room for him on this team, but what are your thoughts on it? I feel – I feel like there are. I just – I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, all, he had some some good, you know, moments for them. He was a stabilizing force for a few of, of the Wolves, but he also just – he it was rough. It was rough. The first 24 contest, he scored in double figures once. You know, uh, he said himself he wasn't in great shape, but he was shooting 35% from the floor, 19% from three during that time. You know, but once he became a starter, things became a lot better. You know, uh, his shooting picked up. Uh, he remained in the starting lineup even after Russell came back, but he played better even while his scoring kind of dipped a little. I- I'm not sure the numbers with him and, and Russell together were not super great at all. Um, and he wasn't as much of a boon for them in that veteran way that I expected. So I, I guess I'm kind of iffy about it. You know, it's definitely a step down from the previous year's performance with the Phoenix Suns for Rubio for sure. But then a lot of that COVID, a change in role, you know, that will happen. So I don't know. I I, I, I guess it doesn't make sense that he would start next to D'Angelo Russell next season, especially if Malik Beasley is back and healthy and good and everything. So, you know, you're coming off the bench on that front. Maybe he has a better job kind of being stable there, transitioning to what would more than likely be his future role, you know, in the NBA as far as being a bench player um, and, and stabilizing those second units. And think about it. I mean, he'll have an expiring contract next year, $17.8 million. It'll be easier to move next year for sure, I think, than it will be this summer. Um, and I think there'll be teams that are interested. I mean, the Clippers were had talks about um, bringing him in, or not talks, but let's let's go with the uh, quote unquote rumors. So yeah. maybe that's a thing. You know, there 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 may be a uh, it'll be a lot more palatable to move that contract next season. I don't know if I see him sticking around long term, like outside of next year though. I I could see it. Uh, Minnesota needs a veteran presence on the team. I don't think Ed Davis is 
long for the Timberwolves. Uh, I think he's he's gone in the next year or two. Uh, I'm I'm looking at Rubio and I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I don't think he's a starting guy. I think if he adjusted to a role coming off the bench, mm-hmm. which, which I think he can do, uh, I think that's kind of the best position for him to be in. The only question is who start who starts next to him? Because look at the number of starters next year, and you're probably looking at Russell, Beasley, Edwards, uh, I don't know, maybe Vanderbilt and Towns, right? So you're mm-hmm. looking at those five guys. Okay, so now do you place no do you go out and find a guard to place next to him? Because you need a uh, you need a consistent scorer next to Rubio, which was always my argument for placing him in the starting lineup next to uh, next to Russell. And it's also the argument that I would make if you wanted to keep Beasley on the bench to start the game and have like have you know I don't know who you would have start next to Russell then is the only thing right who's who's the guy that you you have start in Beasley's position uh. And so that that question of who is the scorer coming off the bench is going to be a big one. But I think if they get that, I think Rubio could be a nice role player position for them. Uh, you know, a nice rotation guy. And you have, you know, Rubio played 26 minutes per game this season, which is his lowest ever. And I think it was just a matter of adjusting to role and there's so much with injury and like, it seemed like his role changed every year. I I don't think you can take too much away from this season for him. Yeah, I get, okay. So do you think, you know, I get you, you're definitely right in terms of, you know, a lot of transition in a, in a major way for him and, and a lot of, you know, like you said, COVID makes an impact on players as well. Do you think that moving forward, that he is that guy for them though? Like, as to have a long-term role in the Timberwolves. I think he's not the guy for them, but... I- oh, no, no, no. When I say that, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, backup, uh, backup point guard moving forward. Like, I think that's his defined role. I don't think he's going to be a starter in two years. If he's still starting two years, something's terribly wrong, um, for the Timberwolves, because, yeah. you know, you brought in Malik Beasley, you have D'Angelo Russell, like, there's issues there. So, that's what I mean. Not nowhere near, <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Take out, move over, Carl Anthony Towns. It's Rubio's show, you know. It's Rubio's time. No, <laughs> I think I think he can be for the next couple of years. I think he can be a good rotation guy, and then I think he can fill the Kevin Garnett role when Kevin Garnett came back to the Timberwolves after playing on the Nets. Right? I think he can be that kind of Minnesota favorite, that fan favorite that everybody loves, and it just feels it just feels good to see him in a Timberwolves uniform. I don't think they're going to get enough of a return in a package for him uh, to justify trading him. I don't know if he wants to leave to go to a team to go to a winning team in the free in free agency. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's the level of guy who, if he leaves in free agency, you trade him in his contract year. I just don't think he's that level of guy that you worry about him leaving. Uh, again, unless you can like, unless you can get a great package in return for him, which I don't think they can. No. So I think I think his his trade value days have passed, and I think it it would be I think it would be a nice story to see 
Rubio kind of end his his time in Minnesota. But as far as like, is he going to be, you know, one of the top rotation guys? I don't think he can be a top rotation guy, but I think he can be a valuable one in terms of providing defense off of the bench and kind of moving the ball within the bench lineup. That's fair. That's fair. And, and I mean, it's not like the guy, the guy was a key part of the Phoenix, the Phoenix rising from the ashes. Haha. Last year. So <laughs> he didn't just suddenly forgot to play. It's, it's been a long year. I, I thought that Minnesota was nice for him from a homecoming standpoint um, and way better than Oklahoma city. Um, by that same token, I am glad that, I mean, I, I do wish that, you know, he definitely finds a more consistent, um, role moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then kind of one final thing we'll touch on here before we get to some questions is once again, we have looking reports with this Minnesota Timberwolves sale. I'm so sick of talking about this. This is another one of those topics that I'm like, Maybe we don't even put this on. I'm sure this is going to be a recurring topic on the show is the sale of the team, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a report uh, recently that there was speculation that once uh, Glenn Taylor kind of fully sold the team to Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie, that Kevin Garnett was going to be considered as coming in to be a major partner there. But then... You know, throughout this whole process, Taylor was saying, no, the Timberwolves are staying. The Timberwolves are staying. They're staying put. And then Alex Rodriguez says that he would love to bring basketball back to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. And how can you do that, Alex, just randomly? You know, although you just became the coach or the, or the, the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, how exactly would you imagine bringing basketball back to Seattle? Like, are you the commissioner? Like, like what way? What is the one way you can do that? As, as the owner of an NBA team. I'm just totally curious. He's talking about relocation, right? Of and, course. I'm being and, totally sarcastic. I'm like, just asking, like, how else would he exactly. be? Exactly. Yeah. I, I picked that up, but the thing is that we, I talked about this with Logan on last week's show, that relocating the Timberwolves to Seattle doesn't make any sense for the league. Uh, Minnesota is a top 15 market in the league. Uh if they wanted to expand to Seattle, it would be $2.5 million for an expansion team in Seattle and 2.5 in Vegas, right? Like the team would have to pay that to the league. Whereas if the Timberwolves just relocated to Seattle, it would only, they'd only pay $2 million. And so you're looking at the league losing $3 million in having a relocation uh minneapolis is a great place for businesses right there's there's not a really high business tax and i think i think the league just wants i mean adam silver has come out and said that he wants basketball in minneapolis and so i think you don't buy the team for again i think it's about two billion dollars that they're they're buying the team for mm-hmm. only a two million more dollars to move them while competing against a league that doesn't want it to happen and trying to convince everybody that it's a good idea. I I think if they moved it, they'll anger Timberwolves fans, and I think Seattle fans will be upset that Alex Rodriguez is back in the city. I 
I don't think it's a smart idea. I don't think it happens, but it, it's worth mentioning. Uh, it's worth talking about a little bit. What are your thoughts on uh, Rodriguez and last week here? I mean, I, I think it's just a bunch – it's nonsense to me. I mean, and in, in, in not nonsense in the sense of what might or might not happen, but, like, bring a different team, you know? <laughs> like, expand, bring it to Seattle, keep Minnesota. They have enough of a legacy. Like, you're not taking uh, – it, it wouldn't even be, like, a a um, Oklahoma City Thunder Seattle Supersonics thing. It'd be Oklahoma City Thunder Seattle Supersonics Minnesota Timberwolves mashed up history. Like, no, keep some of that – tradition in the game expand like you said you're going to just bring a team to seattle if you want to keep minnesota yeah. what it is and keep it moving like i'm not sure why we got to move one team to the other to make another team what it is you know what i mean exactly if you wanted to bring basketball to seattle get word that adam silver wants to expand to seattle and offer to put up the money for an expansion exactly that's what, that's what you would do exactly like you wouldn't do the problem of relocating because the league has to approve a relocation, whereas in an expansion, like, the league is much more likely, the Board of Governors is much more likely to approve an expansion because it boosts everybody's paycheck. Mm-hmm. They would a relocation. Like, I don't think, I don't think anybody wants this relocation to happen. I don't think, I know Timberwolves fans don't want it to happen, and I don't think Seattle fans want it to happen, and so. So it's a lose-lose all around. And if that's the case, then why would you do it? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You look at that, you go, no, 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 we're sold. Like, come on now. Yeah, exactly. And I just, again, and I, I think the prevailing story coming out of this is it's it's showing everybody what. Minnesota Timberwolves fans have known for years, which is that Glenn Taylor has no his fan base, and he just he, he doesn't really care about the team anymore, I don't think. And I think that's finally, like I said on last podcast, there was somebody who was saying, he's like, uh, he was talking about the Woj report, and he was like, Glenn Taylor has been saying for years that, you know, Minnesota basketball would say in Minnesota, and now we just, we see that he's lied. And like, why would he, how would he lie to the fans like this? And I remember I'm sitting there listening to that going, well, you clearly have not been paying attention. <laughs> no, exactly. This is Glenn Taylor we're talking about after all. Like <laughs> Glenn Taylor, the guy who said that Kevin Garnett wasn't worth a max contract. <laughs> like Exactly. Glenn Taylor, the guy who started a rumor that Kevin Love injured his hand on purpose to get out of playing. Like, Glenn Taylor has not cared about this fan base or this team for years. And I think everybody's seeing that now. I think uh, he's making a real strong run at a worst professional sports executive. (laughs) He's making a real strong, like a hall of fame case for that. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. you're looking at that. I mean, you're looking at like just in the NBA, you're thinking him, Dolan. uh, And that's really it as like the top kind of, Worst owners, worst executives, but yeah, I think there's no, I, I think there's no chance that they relocate. I think Minnesota basketball stays in Minnesota, uh, all of that, and I just think this, I think these reports are just kind of fodder to keep us uh, held over and until the next season begins. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, yeah, I agree. All right. Before we get into the question, give an update on the Clippers game. It's currently 
about four minutes left in the second uh, quarter. Clippers are up 53 to four. So, uh, looks like uh, Leonard stole the ball off of a Luka Doncic turnover. So, mm-hmm. we'll get some questions here. Uh, we got a couple questions from Twitter, and I just got to pull up the name here. We got a couple of questions from uh, Jackson Lloyd here, and we'll just talk about them. So, the first thing that he asked is, what do the Wolves do with Malik Beasley? And some some context on this, uh, last week Malik Beasley's 120-day uh, jail sentence began for uh, violent threats that he made in the offseason last year. Uh, I, I don't think we need to go into it on this episode. Enough has been talked about, enough has been written about it, that if you needed to find out, you know, if you didn't know what he did... Uh, you could check it out easily. Yeah. You can go find out. I know I've written a few things about it on Hoops Habit, so... Check out uh, Ethan's work on there. There you go. You support a good writer, and you find out what happened. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, Jeff Day had a really nice piece in the Star Tribune about this, and right now, uh, the, the jail that he's currently in has said that he is scheduled to leave on August 17th, which is the final day of the Summer League, and it's only about 78 days uh, instead of 120 days. The idea is that there's some... It's assumed that he'll be released on good behavior. Uh, that, and I think he's shown... I think he's shown enough remorse over this that I think that's a fair assumption. Uh, but I want to pivot to kind of talking about his on-court play and what they should do from him, strictly looking at a basketball sense, because I know this, uh, starting this season, I was really skeptical about him. I, they gave him this nice contract uh, for the next three years, and he doesn't keep up his level of play from last year. He is not worth the trouble. And then he kept up his level of play from last year. (laughs) He, right. he averaged 19.6 points, 4.4 rebounds, 2.4 assists, uh, 0.8 steals, and had a just an absurd shooting split of 44, 40, and 85. So, jeez, yeah, yeah, like he was he was really close to the 50, 40, 90 club for this season. Uh, and what what should the Wolves do with Beasley? I think the answer is they're probably going to put him in the starting lineup, and I think. This this whole kind of off-court problem is going to go away, you know, and once the league starts, I think everybody's just going to be so happy to have, like, actual NBA basketball back that mm-hmm. we're not really going to think about it. What do you think the Wolves are going to do with him? I feel like he's just going to – I think he's going to stick around. I think he's going to stick around for yeah. a little bit. Um, like you said, I think he, he played well, uh, all things being what they are, considering what you're getting with Malik Beasley. Is he, like, a uh, shooting guard for a team that's going places? No, but, like, the symbols right now are, I think next year, definitely going to be, they could probably be a playing contender at the absolute best, in my opinion, as things stand right now, unless they make some big changes in the offseason, I'm not sure. Um, but he's a solid, you know, he's a, he's a shooter. He puts the shooting in shooting guard. He does that okay. You know, kind of undersized, but he he competed a little bit. It was on and off in terms of the actual results there. But on the defensive end, he had his moments. Um, yeah, he he was solid shooting. He led the Wolves from that from that category um, early in the season. He, he's good. You know, he's a good he's a he's a decent player. I, I will say that. There you go. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when he was playing in games that he played with D'Angelo Russell, he averaged 20.5 points, 4.8 rebounds, 2.3 assists, uh, 0.7 steals, and a split of 46, 40, and 80. So he can definitely play with Russell. I don't think there's any concern there. Exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, that it'll be interesting. The only thing I'm concerned about is how that works alongside Anthony Edwards because he definitely didn't outdo Anthony Edwards, especially in that second half of the season. Yeah. But do you like Edwards at the three? Because you dang sure can't put Beasley at the three, you know? I mean, even going small, that's small. I, I think you put Edwards at the three. I think they're going small. I think you put Edwards there. I don't think you keep Akogi in the lineup, and we'll talk about him next. Uh, but I think you... I think you put Edwards at the three. I think they're going for kind of the micro ball style that the Rockets were looking at. Mm, okay. No, I got you. Definitely. Definitely. So the next question here is asking about some possible draft free agent targets. So Minnesota currently does not have a pick in this year's draft. Uh, I I don't think they go for one. We Again, this is another topic we talked about last week. Uh I think if they go for one, they go for a second-round pick, you know, and it'll probably be late second round. So I want to focus on free agency here. And Minnesota's in just a weird space with the cap where they really have a million in cap space left. And so anybody that they sign, they got to sign to a minimum uh, unless they move some guys. And so I could see... I could see them maybe working on a trade to, just to clear up cap space with guys like Jake Lehman, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and of course like Josh Okogi. Uh, three of them combined have about $14 million in cap space. But the other question is like, who do you deal them to? Because I think the category of teams that you deal them to is just teams who are desperate enough to take any move, right? Mm-hmm. And really, I think those teams are... Just the Hornets, the Kings, Bulls, Pistons, and Rockets. I don't think any other team makes a move for those guys unless for some reason they think, like, this is exactly the guy we need. Whereas those five teams are just, like, desperate enough that they just need to make a move to see if something works. Yeah, I I agree completely with you. It doesn't seem to be in the cards to me either, you know? They pick up a big free agent this year. I think the biggest guy they could probably pick up to get to a minimum is Solomon Hill, who had uh, 4.5 points, three rebounds, one assist in a 35, 32, and 76 split. But uh, any guys you in particular think Minnesota could be looking at this summer? It's weird because if I look at Minnesota, what am I, I mean, one thing I'm looking for is more shooting. I feel that that's something, I mean, one, you can always get enough, you can always get more shooting when it comes to the comes to that to that team or just in the NBA in general. But for me especially, that's one thing I'm really big on as far as like them adding to. Um we'll see what happens in the draft and how they kind of work out there. Um but if not, let's get someone that is like a rotation player that can help out. I mean Josh Richardson is playing himself a new contract the Timberwolves can get. Not sure if they want that um but in theory maybe he can you know in a smaller role refine the game that he had before he went to philadelphia and later to dallas you know he's not the best shooter but he could start at the three you can have malik beasley come off the bench um you know you have a kelly Linick, that's a solid guy as well although he really likes um where he's at in houston uh from what he said in his uh you know end of season comments but he's someone else you can bring on um those are guys i'm looking for three and d players 
three-point shooter type guys, you know, um, and just additional depth in that in that way because you want to bank on no injuries for them. But let's be real; I mean, injuries are are constant for any team, much less for Minnesota. I mean, it's the name of their of their of their kind of franchise in that way just ill-timed injuries at the worst moment so it's kind of a thing for me where i look at guys like that i mean she could buy get some um you know low-end like shooters off the bench that you know that's that's their one job and they just do that i'm sure there's something like that available but that's that's where i would look um as far as players or archetypes for minnesota yeah yeah i got a right here i got three names in front of me that i think Cap space aside, because the cap doesn't work with these guys, uh, except for maybe the last one. Uh, but three guys who I would really like to see on Minnesota from a role-playing perspective. I want to get your thoughts on them real quick here. First guy is J.J. Redick. Joe, I like that. Okay. Do you think yeah. J.J. goes to Minnesota, though? I think J.J. is in the yeah. championship hunting. You just There's, think, oh, like, like that's how a player, if yeah. not him outright. I'm, I'm talking about, like, if Minnesota had a – had $100 million in cap space and could bring anybody in that they wanted to. I don't think Reddick goes to Minnesota at all. I don't want to be starting that, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But that type of guy, another guy who I'd really like to see, but I don't think it's going to work out, is Montrezl Harrell. Okay, I like that. Yeah, another kind of tough, gritty, little bit of a defensive guy, can do some shooting. Uh, and final guy, this one is another Ethan likes this player, so he's going to put it into the ethos that he wants him on the Timberwolves. I can see him coming on a veteran's minimum contract, but Matthew Delvadova. Uh, I like that. Little, okay. Yeah. Adds a little bit of like that sign of toughness, the grittiness, and has that kind of veteran experience for the team. Uh, and he's always been one of my favorite players to watch, and so that's really all – that's really the whole reason he's on this list. <laughs> it's because hey, it's because I like solid. it. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna finish up here. Uh, I want you to talk about Anthony Edwards. Your Twitter name right now is Anthony Edwards is the 2021 Rookie of the Year. Yep. So stand by. Talk about your expectations for him for next year. I I um I, I hope that. The second half, his newfound efficiency really comes in, you know, not settling for deep back contested threes, you know, maybe working on that shooting form more to improve as a catch and shoot player um, or a guy that can, you know, just easily replicate that, um, you know, off off the dribble and, and not relying on that so much. I think he finished around the rim better, um, definitely improving as a distributor, maybe finding a ceiling as an offensive initiate. I don't see it right now. But the hope, I mean, he's, he's not 19 going on 20. Like, the hope is that he can kind of find out more with the ability to be on the ball more, you know, and, and kind of see how that develops. So that's something I'm hopeful for as well. Just really putting it all together. He started doing that, I felt. He started figuring out NBA defense a little more, settling down a little bit more, and not taking as many, you know, rushed, uh, low NBA IQ shots that are, you know, that worked okay for him in college. I mean, okay to the tune of 29% from three, but, you know, weren't really good long term. And he had some dominant performances. So I'm really hoping that he, you know, breaks down the game a little bit more of the offseason, improves some of the finer points of his game, uh, specifically that shooting motion, everything like that, and, and, and going from there and, and seeing kind of how he develops further. Because there's a lot more growth to be tapped. If we've seen anything from uh, Edwards so far, we've seen that. And, I mean, I, 
I think between his frame, the way he uses his body, the way he's able to shoot, the way he's able to get to the rim, I definitely see a big future for this kid. Uh, and his personality and, and work ethic so far seem to lend itself to that. So we just got to see a bare root, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, you can hear him things that I want to see from him. I want to see more efficiency from him. I want to see smarter decisions. I want to see uh, less turnovers. Uh, something big too is his defense. I want to see him take a step with his defense. Uh, but as far as like, is he going to be the player that he was in the first half of the season, or is he going to be the player that he was in the second half of the season? I would expect him to be the player that he was in the second half. Exactly, exactly. That felt more um easily replicated in a way yeah. that we we you know that first half was bad. It was it was it was rough at times, but we didn't think we were going to get that. You know. I think if they if they keep him on the bench, we I think there's a legitimate case for him to be sixth man of the year next year if he keeps playing at the level that he was playing at in the second half of this season. Uh, and I think I can definitely see him at some point in his career winning most improved. Like if he really works on his defense, if he really works on that efficiency, I think I can see him doing that. I think this is a kid who. Like you were saying, he's like 19 or 20. Like it, it's insane how young he is. I think he's got all-star potential. Uh, I think I don't know if he'll ever be. He, he's coming into a tough space in the league where you have Luka Doncic and Joel Embiid. I and you know and Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, uh, Trey Young, as we saw today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I so I don't think he'll ever quite be MVP candidate, but I think. He'll be – he could be, like, somebody's dark horse, I think, if they're trying to pick, like, a dark horse MVP candidate. I think that's kind of level that Edwards can reach in his career. Not saying he'll reach that level next year, of course, but uh, next year I think the biggest thing is that efficiency. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, and if we can get that kind of dialed in a little more and make that – more of the standard of him having, you know, uh, av- av- more above average efficiency just from the field in general. Um, become, I think, a three-point shot. If you can make that a thing, and I mean, it's already a thing, but I just mean more consistent from there. Yeah, you, you got, you got, you got yourself a, a nightmare. And I, I think the Timberwolves definitely have themselves a, a franchise player. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was the second episode. That was we got to a lot of topics. Uh, we touched on a lot of things here, man. Thank you for joining me. Where can the people find you? Oh, mostly on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. I got to say, Ethan, it's always a pleasure coming on with you, man. You're so fun. This was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, definitely make sure to, to do that. Um, you'll get yeah. some NBA tangents and such. Um, you know, definitely got the podcast going. Um, so check that out. Round Ball Rambles, part of the um, Hoop Ball Podcast Network. And then, of course, Spain the Spurs, part of the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, of course. So, you know, Hoop Heads Pod. Uh, net or who has pod net on twitter check them out for sure and yeah that's that's kind of where you find my ramblings man yeah yeah man i love talking with you i love talking ball with you so we'll have to we'll have to do some things like next season when the spurs and timberwolves face off you know i'm sure we'll be doing stuff but you know you guys can find me real ethan becker on twitter other than that we'll see you next week